our Bible reading now, and it's going to be read to us by uh, Neil. Oh, he's here. Thanks, Neil. This morning reading, it's taken from Gospels of John, it's chapter 3, reading verses 22 to 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Enon near Salim, because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted and is, has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Wendy. Uh, and I'm normally out there doing the kids' church. I'm not normally here preaching sermons, so you might have to bear with me a bit, okay? Now, I'm just looking over to the sound desk to see whether there's... Are we a yes or a no? Or a no, okay. So, um, I was going to start by showing you a clip from a show called The Repair Shop. Is that, does anybody else like The Repair Shop? Okay, I love The Repair Shop, okay? It's a bit cathartic for me. It's a programme where people bring in stuff that is family heirlooms, um, stuff that's been in the family for a long time that's got broken or old or somehow is no longer functional. And then these amazing craftsmen put it all back together again and present the family with this new, renewed, beautiful item. Now, the reason why it's quite cathartic is that somebody almost always cries. I always cry watching it. The families always cry receiving their gift. And it's because there's something about renewal and restoration which is so very emotive it, it induces us um a sense of just 
how wonderful it is to see something that was broken brought back to life. In the clip that, that I was looking at, it was a clock, and the clock was kind of totally decrepit and rusty, and they'd have had to soak and clean every single one of the uh, cogs inside to make it, it work better. And when they bring it out, the lady says, oh my goodness, you have brought it back to life. Today, we are going to be thinking about God's restoration, how God restores back to life. And what is God's treasured possession? What's the thing he would bring to the repair shop? It's us, it is people. God is in the business of bringing us back to life. So the passage that we've just read in the Bible um, is from John's Gospel, and it's about John the Baptist. And those of us who've, who've come regularly will know we've been looking through John's Gospel, and we've talked about John the Baptist a little bit. And his whole point of being was to, to point people back to God, to point people to the fact that Jesus was coming, Jesus was the way, and that's, that is his whole mission was to, to sort of direct people to look at Jesus. But John wasn't the first person to bring that message. In Genesis, God walked and talked in the garden. God walked and talked. He had a relationship with people. And that relationship broke down. And since that point, the whole story of the Bible is about God finding ways to restore his relationship back with us. James Green, who was our previous vicar, used to talk about God getting his children back. That every story that followed from Genesis is a picture or a, a sort of description of how God is trying to get his children back. From when Moses led the people into the promised land out of, Exodus, out of Egypt to the, all the different prophets that came along to try and, and talk to the people of Israel and, and bring them back to right relationship with God. Eventually, after sending all of these messages, including John the Baptist, he decides to send his own son to earth to demonstrate what life is like with God. So John was almost like the last of the messengers, if you like, preparing people to look to Jesus as the way. Now, just as an aside, I want to remind people, or perhaps for the first time, get people to think about the type of God we're talking about. In the Old Testament, Psalm 145 talks about a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He upholds everyone who falls. He lifts up all who are bowed down. God is not trying to make it difficult for us to be in relationship with him. He is doing everything possible on his side. He makes every effort. He's on our side. He's rooting for us. And I don't think that's always the type of God we see. This God loves us. He wants the best for us. He's seeking us out. He's longing to be with us. The final verse in our passage says that the relationship with God is called eternal life. And it's for everyone that all who believe in God's Son have eternal life. But what do we think of when we hear the word eternal life? Most likely you think of some kind of afterlife, maybe heaven and hell, maybe some people reincarnation. Maybe you don't believe in any of that at all. Maybe you think that once you're gone, you're gone. It's just a body and it's died. There was a survey a few years ago that the BBC conducted and rough, there was a handful of people who don't know what they believe, fair enough. But roughly split, 50-50, half 
half the people said that yes, they believed there was something after you die, and half people think no, there's nothing after you die. So there's a, guff, a fair kind of chance that a decent proportion of you in this room think that this is just a load of nonsense and there's nothing after you die. And the reason I think that we find it irrelevant is because this is the kind of picture we think of when we think about the afterlife. We think of cherubs, we think of angels floating around on clouds with harps and whatever. It just feels so distant, so irrelevant, so meaningless. But I want you to think about the fact that I think there is more to life than this world. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in every human heart. In every human soul, there's some kind of awareness from God that there is something more than this world. And with that awareness of eternity comes hope. Hope that there can be fulfillment that you might not be finding in this world. The closest I can kind of get to explaining it to you are the times when I felt like that. So I love walking and stuff and I love it when I'm at the top of a mountain and there's nobody else around and I get struck by this sense of, of, of awe and amazement how big and beautiful the world is. When we lived um, in Tanzania in Africa, the night sky is nothing like you have ever seen in the city. You can see star after star after star. It is immense. And being in that place, looking up at that sky, they are the times when I am struck by the idea that there is more than just what I see and feel in the everyday. Or maybe it's when you first saw the scan of the baby. I don't know who's, I'm assuming your mum, when you're pregnant and you see the first scan of a baby I'm always totally in awe of that. Or when the baby grabs you, you grabs your, um, your little finger with their whole hand. There's something magical about that feeling. All of those things for me are glimpses about the world being much bigger than what we have in our immediate circumstances. The star, the seas, the mountain, They've all given us a sense that they've been there for millennia and they will be there for millennia after us. That there's much more that goes on between our... These moments are about our soul. Our soul isn't something that we very often think about or pay any attention to, but I do believe we've all got one. And those moments where we have that sense of bigness or otherness, I think that's when we are aware of our soul. And that is a, a way of communicating with God in a way that I do find it difficult to explain or articulate to you. Generally, we just don't look beyond our immediate circumstances. We're so busy dealing with the here and now and the day-to-day -day challenges of life. But I suspect most of you have mo known moments where you feel that there is something more than you can see or feel or hear, that there's something bigger, that's something that you can't quite put your finger on. And I believe that that's your soul and that that's the part of you that carries on after your physical body dies. Well, if there's such a thing as a soul, then what's going to happen to it? Is it lots of clouds and harps and pearly gates? And the truth is, I don't know. I'm not, probably just not imaginative enough. Or as Sue told me after the nine o'clock service, the Bible says that actually it is just impossible for us to conceive of what 
beyond this world will look like because it is so much better and so much beautiful and so much more impressive than we can ever imagine. But the things I do know about heaven is that it's a place where God has made a special place, especially for each of us. It's a place where we can worship together. It's a place full of joy and peace. It's a place where there'll be no hunger, no thirst, no pain, no sickness, where God will wipe away every tear. So it's definitely something to look forward to. But life after death isn't the only thing that Jesus is offering in this passage where he talks about eternal life. He's also coming to bring life before death. Eternal life is a free will gift of God, a gift that only God could have given. And it allows us to live as people of his kingdom now on earth. John several times refers to it as something that's happening now in the present. All who believe in God's son have or has eternal life. It's something that's now and for the future. Later on in John, Jesus describes eternal life. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He's describing a relationship between God and us. Knowing God and being known by God. So the Greek word for know in that passage is genosko. And that means not just to know in your head, but to know in experience. So I've been married to Kev um, for 22 years now, I've, I've known him for 27 years. Um, I could write you a list of facts about my husband. I could tell you he's a Man United fan. I can say that because he's out in kids' church and none of you need to know that. <laughs> um, I could tell you when he was born, what degree he did, what job he's got, that he's got two kids. I could write you a book of facts about Kev, but you would not know Kev from that list of facts. You know somebody because you live with them. You argue with them, you discuss stuff with them, you make agreements with them, you compromise with them, you live life with them. And when, God is to, when Jesus says that eternal life is knowing God, that's the type of knowing he's talking about. It's about having a relationship with God. And when he talks about it being eternal life, the word for eternal doesn't just mean in time, it doesn't just mean unending, which is what it, it means, but it also means the quality of that life that's lived. It's about living the kingdom of God life now and in the hereafter. It's not just a time period, it's a time quality. Jesus has come to offer quality of life lived with God while we're on earth as well as into the future. So how does that work? What does eternal life on earth mean? Well, I could have just got Patrice up at this point to give her testimony because everything that she described is what it means to live with eternal life on earth. It's a relationship with God. The Bible is full of promises of what it means to walk in relationship with God. These are just a few of them, and I have not prepped in advance with Patrice, but she almost perfectly read out this list when she did their testimony, because that's the truth of it. You live in grace, you live with love, forgiveness, purpose, acceptance. I've been a Christian since I was about 11. So what, what's it meant for me? Well, I am not going to pretend to you that I have lived a life 
where I've had, you know, no problems at all, you know, there's no, no worries, no tears, no pain. That would not be true. But I can tell you that at different stages of my life, it has meant different things to walk with Jesus. Right now for me, <laughs> right now for me, it means acceptance. It means forgiveness. It means that even though I feel like I'm getting it wrong most of the time, God still loves me. It means that I've got a safe place to go to, to be honest with God, to say how I feel and what's going on without any sense of shame. And it also means I've got a faith and a hope for the future, even if my circumstances might tell me something different. That's what eternal life on earth means for me. We who come to this church regularly, we're a community of believers and each of us will have a slightly different take on what it means to walk with Jesus. But for all of us, it is a gift freely given by God. Let's encourage each other and remind each other of that gift and the difference it's making in our lives. But the one thing I would tell you that we all have in common, if we all shared our testimony like Patrice did, if we all told you what it, the difference it's meant to walk with Jesus, it will be one of restoration and renewal. When we believe in Jesus, we receive the gift of eternal life. We become new creations, born again, restored, redeemed, made whole. The repair shop is a lovely example of how things are taken and they are restored patiently, deliberately, purposefully. And that's what God does in our lives. Another example is this type of pottery. I don't know if you can see it up on the screen there. It's called kintsugi pottery. It's a type of Japanese art. And basically they take something that is broken, in this case a bowl. And you've got a couple of options, haven't you, when something breaks. Mostly you chuck it in the bin or you try and glue it back together. And most times you try and glue it back together without really noticing that there's any cracks. You do your best to kind of hide the cracks. Well, this type of Japanese pottery deliberately uses a gold lacquer to stick it back together again. It deliberately takes the brokenness and makes it back into something restored and beautiful and purposeful. And that, for me, is a symbol of how God works in our life. He takes the bits of us that are broken and damaged and he can make it into something beautiful and purposeful and give it a second life. Another example that um, I'd like to give you is, is something that God spoke to me about when I was running. Any of you will know me, will know that that's often a time when I talk to God. I think mainly because I don't give him much time any other time of my week, but I like to go for a run and I like to run around Croxteth Park. And it was in, I think, about November, December time last year. Do you remember there was those big storms and a lot of the trees, um, there was a lot of tree damage in Croxteth Park. And one of the trees fell down right across the path in the back of the woods. And you couldn't get past the path. It was huge, this tree, and it was right in the middle of the path. And so initially, everyone was just kind of climbing over it as best as you could. Um, or if you had a buggy or a bike, you were probably turning back around. And then a few weeks later, I was running, and what they'd done is they'd cut a massive chunk out of this tree and moved the trunk to one side. So now you could get past the path, but the old dead trunk was still over on the wayside. And then a few weeks after that, someone had carved this bench out of it. And when I saw that, for me, God spoke to me about the fact that even when there are storms of our life which are devastating and 
something that perhaps we feel we will never get over. God can use even those moments to bring about restoration and to repurpose it. So how do we receive this gift of eternal life? Well, our Bible passage says that anyone who believes in the Son of God has eternal life. We simply need to believe in the Son of God. Does that mean that we just read Bible stories and know them in our heads? Well, I think it's probably a bit more than that. Belief goes beyond head knowledge and requires some faith. Today, as we welcome these children and adults to be baptised into the family of God, we also recognise that one day they'll have to make a choice of their own, whether to take a step of faith and believe in the Son of God. Joyce Mayo um, says, Faith is having peace even when you don't have all the answers. I am not going to pretend to you that I know all the answers or that I've even begun to ask all my questions. None of us will ever have the answers to all of this stuff. God, heaven, hell, Jesus, eternal life. But if you wait till you've got all the answers, you'll never get there either. It requires a step of faith. But I can testify, along with many stories in the Bible, along with many of Jesus' followers since the Bible, that the difference that is made when God is living in your life. As I draw to a close and, and we move on to a time of worship, I, I'd encourage you to think about what God might have been saying to you this morning. Maybe this is the first time you've ever thought about anything like this. And the idea that God is offering you a new life is something totally new to you. More than happy to talk to people later, but don't let that, that seed go away from you. Think about it, reflect on it. Or maybe you accepted God's gift of eternal life a long, long time ago but you've stopped walking and talking with God daily. Your knowledge has become all head knowledge without any of the experience. Your day-to-day -day life has got so busy that you've stopped attending to your soul. You've stopped looking at the bigger picture and you're just fixed on the day-to-day -day challenge. Come back to God, lift your eyes. Or maybe you feel broken or damaged, perhaps beyond repair. Well, this morning, God is reminding you that he has come to restore and to renew and to repurpose our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we worship a God who loves us, who longs to see us made whole, both now and in a life to come. Pray that you would speak to each one of us today, wherever we're at, and hold those thoughts in our heart. Amen.